Thank you, Whitney. Hi, Gayatri. Thank you so much for, for being with us today, especially so, so late for you. Um, so, I mean, first and foremost, please Thank tell me. Thank you so much for giving me an opportunity to talk about this. Absolutely. And, it, and we have a little bit of a lag, um, but just for those of you watching and, and uh, for Gayatri to know as well. Um, but please, you know, first and foremost, how are you doing? I think these are difficult times for everybody across the world. Uh, personally, I'm okay, but I think uh, the everyday, um, you know, handling situation does wear anybody down, and uh, you know, the uncertainty of how long it's going to be there is the is the worst. Yeah, absolutely. I can I can only imagine. And you know, we'll get we'll get into the specifics of your work, which is um, something we really want to spend some time talking about. But but first, um, let's talk a little bit about the situation um, in India. You know, I think uh, for many of us watching uh, from around the globe, uh, looking from the outside in, uh, it's inconceivable that a country of that size uh, could institute a complete lockdown, especially when you consider um, the number of poor living in India. Uh, what what has the lockdown looked like, and uh, you know how has that changed daily life? Uh, what are many Indians experiencing day to day now? So I think um, I just want to go back to the day the lockdown was announced. I think, um, um, as you said, it's unprecedented, right? Uh, nobody expected a 21-day lockdown, and we all had about four hours to prepare. There was a Sunday before when uh, the prime minister called for what they called a janta curfew, a people's curfew. That means of your free will, you stay home. Uh, but I think uh, uh, I, the repercussion of it was what we did not plan for. Um, uh, the need to react to the crisis was what was primarily on everybody's mind. But uh, just, just let me play out three situations for you, right? Uh, most Please. construction workers live on sites. They live in temporary camps in what we call slums or shanty towns. Um, they're all migrants, uh, mm. which means we're talking of about 20, 30 million. So 20 million definitely are migrants. And this ranges to about 30 million when you have, uh, you know, uh, the pre-agricultural season, which is where we were. So people would have been going back home in March. Uh, but but they're all at sites to make the maximum money before they go for harvest season because agricultural workers double up as construction workers in many places. And it's at that point of time when when the, the COVID virus hit us and the lockdown happened, they were stuck where they were. Now, these are not homes. These are temporary sites that you're, uh, you're stuck in, you know, which means it's your highways which are being built, uh, uh, so you could be anywhere on the highway. It can be real estate in the urban areas. All construction happens either on the highway or the real, uh, or in urban areas. Um, and they get paid every week. Uh, so Saturday is payday. Um, you don't get paid for the week. You don't have food. Uh, you don't have a place to stay because social distancing norms mean you have to leave your place. So they suddenly found themselves, you find 20 million people don't know where they have to go, how they have to go, what is tomorrow going to look like when you don't have three weeks minimum of wage, which is gone. Now, let me fast forward this to the, you know, we were sort of a week away from the 21 day uh, lockdown period, which was declared. Um, 
two weeks of no earning, um, which means you don't have, your ability to buy food is is uh, nil absolute uh, absolutely, and prices uh, have gone up. Mm. You know, essential supplies have gone up. Although government has tried very hard to uh, you know fix that, but a time of scarcity is when prices really go up, and when you don't have money and you can't go out. Uh, I think it really has an impact on you. I think that's that's the situation in the construction migrant worker. Let me take another uh, uh, group of people. You know, mm. who brings in essential supplies and others? Truck drivers. You know, they're these these truck drivers are stuck on highways at toll plazas and they can't move because there's a lockdown. You can't move between states. You can't move between districts. You can't move between cities. Uh, so you're stuck there. They don't have food. They are considered anyway, uh, you know, a difficult population. Um, they don't have the money either. You know, they're they're stuck where they are. So you, we are seeing uh, a, a range of people who who just don't are not able to move left or right. You know, they don't know whether to go back home, which is the safest place they would think to my, themselves when you know money is short. When you don't know tomorrow if things are going to become better, you want to be safe. But you're not allowed to be safe because of social distancing, because of the lockdown, the curfews which are there. Uh, and if you're here, what's what's your alternative? I think that's the the plight of about I would say about 30 million Indians on the road today, without food, without shelter, and um, and very and and I think uh, nobody knows how to identify them except when they walk back. Hmm. How do you identify somebody? And and beyond these 30 million workers that you've described, I mean, this is also affecting the broader population in India as well. Could could you explain a little bit about how this cascades out to the rest of the country? So uh, let me take a couple of micro businesses. You know, uh, uh, um, you know, India is a populous country, which means that we also have a lot of vehicles. So you have uh, two wheelers, you have, uh, you know, what we call the auto rickshaws or tuk-tuks in some countries. So three wheelers, we have four wheelers, we have small utility vehicles and large vehicles. There are a lot of mechanics and drivers. They're all off the road uh, completely. Many of them are, um, you know, yesterday I heard a colleague call solopreneurs. That means they have bought their own uh, uh, vehicle in order to uh, make a living. Mm. Now they have to pay the EMI. They don't have any money anymore. Uh, they're, not, they're not economically active. So again, these people would not have been considered the poor, but now have suddenly dropped into poverty. You know, it's, it's, it's just a, a week of no earning has pushed them into poverty. Now, three, four weeks of uh, no earning will just drive them into absolute, uh, uh, you know, possibly below poverty line. Mm -hmm. uh, let me take another two uh, categories, you know, beauticians, uh, tailors, these are all abounding, you know, vegetable vendors on the road. These are all about, they, they are the Indian economy in that sense. All mm -hmm. these people have no, they, there is absolutely no way they can make the income. And I just want to bring in one one girl who spoke to me just this morning, a girl called Vani. She came and she told me, I'm a beautician. I actually took a loan and took a I rented a place out. The government has said that I don't have to pay EMI for three months. 
I think that's really the question she was asking. You know, rents have to be paid. There's no income. Uh, once this comes on, will these professions stay on? Uh, people who are, uh, you know, auto service mechanics are asking, will it, will there ever be a time when we will uh, we can go back to our shops? Will vehicles ply as normal? Will mm. people buy vehicles? Uh, so there's a lot of questions in everybody's mind as to what is tomorrow going to be because the today looks very very bleak. Mm. And you know, talking a little bit about about your own work, you know, your your focus with LaborNet on jobs training and employment, you know, talk about a little bit about what your work is and how you've kind of pivoted it uh, during uh, this this time. So uh, uh, we we are a, a workforce development company, you know. So our job was to uh, ensure people are skilled and reskilled and upskilled. These are the three things that we do. What it meant is that in India, to start with, very few people have skill certification. So we said, let's take skill training to where they are. So that's how we work in construction sites, in rubber manufacturing companies, with tire fitters, everybody who we call the informal sector, which, which just to give you a, a proportion, would be about 90% um, uh, of 400 million uh, workforce. You know? So you're talking of a significant number mm -hmm. that we work with. Um, and when this happened, we suddenly realized that, um, you know, these people don't need training immediately, but need food. Uh, what they need is uh, immediate supply of food, and so we said, okay, let's just uh, uh, let's just do that. You know, we have two thousand uh, trainers, mobilizers, coordinators. Uh, so, our, so we said, let's use our um, uh, human uh, force, so to speak, to start start providing, which was the need of the hour. In some places, they had to be escorted to safe places, you know, so that everybody doesn't migrate in groups together. So depending on the situation, we just said our job is essential service relief for the immediate, uh, um, uh, if I could say, uh, you know, for this month. That's, mm -hmm. that's really what we need to do in the next few months. I don't know how long that is. Simultaneously, we also had uh, young people who were preparing for a career, you know, people mm -hmm. who were planning to be electricians, beauticians, uh, um, you know, data entry operators. So we said, let's start virtual classrooms for them. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and so, uh, it was just about just figuring out what is today going to be. I think that's where we are today. Um, from a workforce development company, we, we've become an enabling livelihood. That's our tagline. We said uh, we need to interpret it broadly and uh, and do what it takes to ensure that people have livelihoods. Hmm. Um, and and you're, you're based in Bangalore, but your work stretches far beyond that. So how many people would you say that you're reaching with these efforts and is it is it enough? No, it's a um, it's a needle in a haystack. You know, uh, um, we have as we speak, we have requests for about three hundred thousand people have reached out to us. Uh, you know, who are our, our trainees, our workers, candidates uh, who are registered with us, saying we're we're in need for support. Hmm. Uh, um, and you know, we're, we're every day trying to cope with that. Um, you know, saying can we provide ten days? Can we provide fifteen days of essential supplies? Can today be handled? So that's where we are at this point of time. Hmm. So 
significantly i mean uh, in a country of our uh, of our uh, dimensions i think uh, the number that we have itself is 300000 so you can imagine what other uh, civil society organizations social enterprises the state has to deal with so you're talking mm -hmm. about it 40 40 million people who need support today and you know speaking about what the state has to deal with what the government is doing i mean i i think some people will hear this and think that's amazing the work you're doing but why isn't the government offering these sorts of benefits so could you talk a little bit about what the indian government is doing what policies are in place um, right now to to help the millions of, of indians who are in crisis at this moment so i think the indian government announced the finance minister came out and announced a package for uh, uh, immediate food uh, uh, what we call you know public distribution system to deliver food and also a direct benefit transfer i think the challenge that is there is twofold uh, is the uh, migrant workers particularly are not home if they are not home they do not have what we call a ration card you know it's like a pass which you require to go and take the food so if you have to get 5 uh, uh, kilograms of rice or wheat or sugar you need to have that pass your name should be there but if you're not home you're naturally you know you you don't have the uh, um, ability to pick it up Hmm. uh the finance minister also announced for construction workers that the uh, uh, there is a, a board uh, you know assess fund which is used to collect money that money should be used but the problem again is the assess fund is for that state that means it is for registered workers of a state but uh, uh, uh in a in a federal system like ours i could belong to the state of karnataka and actually uh Uh, I'm registered uh, in my home state, which is Bihar, which is about three uh, thousand kilometers away. Uh, so I can't use it. So I I was thinking the other day, it's a bit like you know, if you if I had a dollar in India, and um, you know you came to India with a dollar and you wanted to buy it in a local shop, your currency is not valid. So you have it and you don't have it. I think that's the situation for the migrant workers. Um, for the informal sector workers i think the lot of them were outside poverty as i said who were you know independent uh, self employed they have now plunged into poverty and many of them are young so because the public distribution system list has not been updated their name may not be on it so while the measures are taken it may not reach the exact uh, clientele or the beneficiary group that you want to really target at this point of time And do you think that this presents uh, this crisis presents an opportunity in some ways to sort of reimagine I guess these systems um should we find ourselves in a situation like this whether it is you know a pandemic or some other sort of crises uh that sees people uh displaced from their jobs and employment and um their their living spaces uh you know what sort of opportunity is there for to reimagine uh the the government and and the way that it it serves uh, its citizens um in my mind uh, you know the large scale urbanization which had happened in india the only way of growth we knew was uh, urbanization uh, and people migrated from villages to cities i think this pandemic will change that you know the borders which had opened up people were freely moving uh, across cities uh, sometimes across countries i think this will change forever for all of us and more so for the poor so mm -hmm. they will be closer to home 
which means that the economic unit which was a city probably will change and again just to give you a context india has about 600000 villages out of which um, almost 55% of those villages have less than 2500 population with very little economic activity hmm. uh, so i think we will have to change the way we define an economic unit only then will we be able to ensure people can live i also feel um, you know um, while i'm in support at this point of time for relief and universal basic income i think there's a need for humans to work um, mm -hmm. you know and it's a visceral need you have to be occupied we've seen country states go absolutely um, you know lose to terrorism to drugs when people don't have enough work so it's the time it's time for us now to look to see what kinds of infrastructure what kinds of health what kinds of education and livelihood will we have for smaller economic units because mm -hmm. india has always looked at economic units like mumbai delhi which have populations uh, uh, between 10 and 20 million uh, uh, you know people living in one geography um, uh, high urbanization you know so this uh, what we call our district headquarters are populated people are living in slums uh, in so i can't see social distancing happening in all these places uh, you know where 10 people are probably living in a room so i think we'll have to completely reimagine the way in which we are living um, i also think uh, it's it's uh, you know india has also become a very divided uh, country from a class perspective the rich live in gated communities the poor live in slums there's no interaction so the last 20 years has seen a huge change probably that will also change uh, uh, you know given this uh, this uh, lockdown is going to have a far reaching impact on our economy people are not back to work so i think it will permanently change the way we think and uh, behave and maybe it's uh, as i said i i'm very positive that uh, you know when we come back we we'll probably come back with a new face hmm. Um, and, and finally, Gayatri, you know, for our audience who is uh, global watching, I'm sure many are, are wondering how they can support your efforts and the efforts of, of others who are working to alleviate um, hardship for many in India. What, uh, what are some ways people can support um, what's going on? So currently we are running a campaign to, uh, you know, collect funds to ensure that uh, basic essential supplies for a, a week of ration, what we, what we would call wheat, rice, uh, a uh, pulse and you know sugar and salt is available with onions for people to cook and live so i think that's the current campaign that we are running uh, from a funds perspective i think in kind also would really help um uh and as i said you know we have to reimagine the way we reskill people so uh, a lot of uh, probably technology companies we would need support of to take off licensing costs of uh, virtual classrooms uh things like that you know so uh as i said education in the way that we think may be completely denied to the poor if we don't make it affordable for them mm -hmm. so food food and food in the immediate uh, um you know one to two months post that i think we have to start rebuilding our lives and looking to see the same access which you and me have is available for everybody to reskill and retool themselves mm -hmm. 
Well, thank you so much, um, Gayatri, for taking some time to chat with us and taking um, a break from your very important work. And we really appreciate you um, sharing your insight and uh, talking a little bit about the situation in India. So thank you for this. Thank you, Whitney. Thank you.